All right, well, good morning or afternoon or evening or maybe you're watching this at 3 o'clock in the morning. And if you are, good morning again. Uh, my name is Peter Claussen. I'm an associate pastor here at Deer Run Church. And I have the privilege of closing off our en entire series on the New Testament. And I get to close it off by speaking on the book of Revelation. Now, I have found this book to be very extraordinary. Uh, I'm drawn to its imagery. I'm drawn to its mystery. And, I, and I'm drawn to its ability to provoke wonder. Eugene Peterson has some beautiful words on the book of Revelation. He says, The revelation adds nothing of substance to what we already know. The truth of the gospel is already complete, revealed in Jesus Christ. There is nothing new to say on the subject, but there is a new way to say it. I read Revelation not to get more information, but to revive my imagination. St. John uses words the way poets do, recombining them to, to fresh ways, to, to that old, to the old truth is freshly perceived. He takes truth that has been eroded to platitude by endless usage and sets, in motion, sets it in motion before us in an animated, impassioned dance of ideas. When we read the book of Revelation, I want you to be okay with not understanding everything. John did not understand everything, and he's the one who wrote it. So that should make you feel, at least it makes me feel a little bit better. I remember taking a Revelation class in in Bible college, and I, w I remember being annoyed because we were not allowed to jump into the text right away because before we jumped into Revelation, we were instructed to read uh, various books from the Old Testament, which I thought was kind of strange. I had to read Zechariah, Ezekiel, uh, books like Daniel. And the reason for this is because much of the imagery that confuses us and that we find in Revelation is siphoned directly out of the Old Testament. And the uh, readers uh, in the church of Asia Minor, they would have understood uh, these books and they would have understood what John was writing about. The author, like I said, is John. The type of literature is, it's a letter, it's a prophecy, and it's an apocalypse. It is written by a specific person to a specific persons living in specific cities at a specific time in history and to, uh, designed to meet specific needs. And in other words, it's a pastoral letter written by a pastor to churches that needed pastoring. We hear the word apocalypse, and at least my brain does this, and our brains immediately jump into those movies, those end-of-the-world movies, right? Uh, I'm sure you can name like five of them uh, that provoke fear and, and are designed to scare us because they're about the end of the world. But when the first century Jewish person heard the word apocalypse, it did not do the same thing for them. They were filled with comfort and filled with peace and hope. A Jewish apocalypse was a series of symbolic visions that reveal a heavenly perspective uh, on history in light of the endgame, in light of the conclusion, or as I would like to say, the drone view, the overhead view. Revelation, uh, Paul Spilsbury says this, Revelation wants us to take its world to be even more real than the one we commonly refer to as the real world. 
Revelation isn't just a book. Revelation is an invitation to experience truth in such a way that when we, uh, that we then see, we hear, and we feel, and we react to life here on earth differently. Why the vivid imagery? Uh, imagery? Why, would, why would John use such vivid imagery in this writing? Because it transforms our vision more powerfully than truth conveyed through everyday ordinary language. John knows that, that when he speaks to us in this way, that he burns those images connected to that truth into our subconscious. And it invokes change, invokes um, a difference in our life. John says in chapter 1-3 that this letter is a prophecy. Meaning God's word is spoken through, the pro- through a prophet. Uh, either to warn or to comfort them in times of crisis. Now this is where people get a little bit confused. Um, in ancient times, prophecy does not imply so much prediction as it does de- uh, declaration. Not so much prediction as it is a declaration. Revelation is the revealing of something that is requiring a response at that very moment. The outline can be broken down uh, by, um, you know, if, by chapters. One, chapter 1 to 5 is the revelation of Christ. Chapter uh, 6 to 11 is the times of tribulation. 12 to 20, judgment of the beasts. We'll look at that a little bit later on. And 21 to 22, the beauty of heaven. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we, as we look into Revelation, Lord, we pray that you would communicate to us the message that you wanted to communicate to the, to the early church. And, and the, for they're going through many of the same things that the church today is going through. Uh, a lot of unrest, a lot of uncertainty. But God, we know that you never change. And you hold the keys to death and Hades. Your victory was marked with your work on the cross. You atoned for our sins and we are eternally grateful, Lord. May we be just changed by, by your truth. And may we have the humility to look into your word and see what you're trying to say to us, God. Thank you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. The year is 96 AD. It is believed that all of the other disciples at this point have been martyred. Apostle John, the disciple, is in his 80s. He is in prison on an island called Patmos, located in the Aegean Sea off the shore of modern-day Turkey. This is one of the main reasons why John's letter seems so cryptic with its imagery and, and its symbols. You see, all of the letters that John wrote to the church on the mainland were being censored by prison authorities. And so much of the artistic language was being taken straight out of the Old Testament, making it hard for Roman guards to understand what John was talking about. But these things were clear to the Jewish readers who had familiarized themselves well in Jewish scripture. Many of these people had actually memorized the Old Testament writings. But why is John here? Why is he on this island? In AD 92, Roman Emperor Domitian had 40,000 Christians killed. 
He was a very insecure emperor, and he ordered that everyone worship him, Dominus et Deus. Domitian is Lord and God. You can still see the temple of Domitian in the ruins of Ephesus to this day. And John refused. He was a prominent figure, and to murder him would probably revive a minority spirit, which is not what the Romans wanted. And while on Patmos, the persecution intensified for followers of Jesus. The Christians were confused, they were discouraged, and they were afraid. In all of this, John was not called to form a resistance, uh, a task force on political terror to combat the blatant human rights violations committed by the Roman Empire. No, John was not called to raise more funds for the church to ramp up their protective measures. God simply pulls back the curtain and lifts the cover. Jesus responds with a, with a revelation, with an apocalypse. And it is through this that John reminds us who Jesus is. Jesus is alive. John tells us in Revelation chapter 1, 17 to 18, when I saw him, meaning Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, for I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys to death in Hades. John gives us a vision of a conquering lion whose victory was not brought in by violence, was not brought in by terror or, or calculated political campaigns, but by sacrificial love. And in doing so, tipped the scales of justice, solidifying his victory over death, making it available for you and for me. All right, so we, so we know that this book of Revelation, it's a letter, it's a prophecy, it's apocalypse, and now we have a, have a little bit of an understanding of the context in which uh, this, this book was, was being written, which is very important. And so let's dive in. And I wish I had much more time to go through this book because there is so much to unpack. Uh, but I will make the best of the time that I have, so let's, uh, let's jump in. Chapters 1 to 3. We are addressing the churches here. The churches represent the lampstands. Those lampstands um, are a direct reference taken out of the Old Testament book of Zechariah. And if you pay attention, this is really neat. Jesus is not speaking from the outside looking into the lampstands. He is speaking from within the lampstands. And you will notice that Many numbers are being used in apocalyptic literature, especially the number seven is all over the book of Revelations. Uh, it's, it's all over, and the number seven represents a, the number of completeness and is taken out of the creation story that we read in Genesis. Now, during these difficult times, the church was struggling with um, different things, apathy, immorality, and persecution. Spiritual complacency is the biggest, is the greatest danger in this book, not persecution. Spiritual complacency is the greatest danger in this book, not persecution. 
there were churches at this time that seemed like they were doing great on the outside. But Jesus addresses the apathy dead on. And he calls out churches like Laodicea, calling them lukewarm in chapter 3. And it's interesting because this particular area, Laodicea, was known for three things. And it was their, uh, their banks, their clothes, and their uh, medical schools, particularly their eye um, uh, their eye ointments and their, their eye treatments. And it's interesting because Jesus calls them poor, naked, and blind. And, and, and he calls them to, to faithfulness. He calls them to faithfulness, to make a choice. And this concept sets up the narrative for the entire book of Revelation, asking the big question, and the question is this. Will God's people stay strong and be faithful to Jesus and Jesus alone through the persecution and temptations? Chapters 4 and 5, we get this incredibly epic uh, picture painted uh, for us of the throne of God. John has a vision of, of God's throne room. The imagery is drawn, again, from the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah chapter 6, Ezekiel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 7. It is filled with creatures and elders that represent all of creation and uh, all of, 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 of the humans, all the humans of all the nations. God is sitting on the throne, and, with the, and he reveals a scroll with seven seals. And, and only Jesus in his divine authority is able to open the seals to the scroll. And John figures out what all of them represent. The seals depict God's divine kingdom and justice coming to earth from heaven. Here we, have, we see hard times and tribulations of God's people. And they, and they cry out and they, they scream. They say, who is able to stand? And this sets us up for the next part that John an, uh, answers for us, the, the, the question. John turns and he sees a, a military images fulfilled through the slain lamb of Jesus. And, and the, the messianic army is not your run-of-the-mill, your regular warriors, but people from all nations fulfilling God's ancient promise to Abraham. We can read in Genesis chapter 7, verse 4. This multi-ethnic army of the Lamb can stand before God because they have been redeemed through Christ's blood, through the blood of the Lamb, the work of the cross. Now they're called to conquer, but not through chaos and destruction, but by suffering and bearing witness because that reflects the work of the Lamb. Of Jesus. Chapters 12 to 14, John speaks about the signs, which is literally translated into symbols. We see this cosmic epic battle uh, that's based out of Genesis chapter 3:15. We have this dragon uh, that represents the source of all evil. And in Genesis, it's a serpent. Here we have a dragon. The dragon attacks a woman and her seed, which represent the Messiah and his people. Jesus defeats the dragon through his death and resurrection. Satan is cast to earth where he wreaks havoc on all of God's people. Why is John telling us this? Why is this important? John is trying to show us that neither Rome, nor nation, nor people are our enemy. 
They are not our actual enemy. The enemy isn't an institution and maybe even the injustices that, 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 it, that it creates. Even though they are all symptoms of what the enemy is doing. The dragon is the enemy. The devil and John beautifully reveals that we conquer the dragon through the blood of the Lamb. Chapter 12, verse 11. This is what it says. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath. Because he knows that his time is short. Woo! Man, this is, this is epic stuff. Okay, let's get your heart pumping. I remember when I was 16 years old, I was uh, in high school. And I remember getting a pamphlet in the mail. And I remember getting terrified. Because in this pamphlet was an advertisement for some sort of, um, uh, you know, it was speaking on, on, the, on the end of the earth and how the, the mark of the beast was going to come and how you can't buy or sell without it and you're not going to go to heaven if you have it. And I turn on the TV and there's televangelists telling me that I only have a few more years left before the end of the world. And so, like, as a high school student, I was terrified. But the earth did not end. I did not drop out of high school. And Jesus hasn't come back yet. More predictions have been made, and more predictions have fallen flat. I've been fascinated with the concept of the beast. Genesis, and sorry, in chapter 13 of Revelation, John describes two beasts. These beasts are based out of the Old Testament book of Daniel, chapters 7 to 12. Throughout Revelation, you will notice that the enemy is constantly mimicking God, but he's not God. He's a distorted version of God. He is a counterfeit. And uh, he himself cannot measure up to God's standards. You know, for instance, instead of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you have a mirrored distortion of the dragon, beast of the earth, and beast of the sea. The beast of the earth uh, seems as though is dragon-manipulated religious power and institutions. The role of the beast of the earth is a religious one, it seems. This is made clear later on in Revelations uh, 16 and 19 and 20. The beast of the sea, the role of the, the, the second beast, then is to do whatever it takes to manipulate people into trusting and following political power that has moved out from under God. It is the ec economic propaganda machine that empowers the beast of the earth. The true prophets lead us to worshiping the living God, while the false ones lead us to worshiping the state. That would have been extremely relevant to the readers of that time, uh, living underneath Roman rule. There's evidence to suggest that it was actually, get this, it was actually the spiritual leaders of that time that were pushing people towards emperor worship. Both of the beasts demand full allegiance from the nations. And this is symbolized by taking the mark of the beast on the forehead or right hand. Uh, the number 666, the mark, uh, the, the, the number of man. Now it's very important to note that John spoke both Hebrew and Greek. Hebrew letters were also numbers. 
Something to consider is, consider is, if you spell the Greek word new Caesar and the word beast in Hebrew, each one amounts to 666. The question we need to ask ourselves in this moment is, what would this have meant to the first century church in Asia Minor? Like most of uh, John's imagery, John is siphoning straight out of the Old Testament, Old Testament. And I want to be very clear on this point. The mark of the beast is uh, an anti-Shema. The Shema is an ancient Jewish prayer of allegiance to God that's found in the book of Deuteronomy chapters 6 verses 4 to 8. This would have been very clear to the people of that time because they knew the Shema off by heart. They knew what it meant. Um, it did not mean to them microchips, tattoos, and rock music. Okay? The Shema prayer was written on a person's forehead and right hand as a symbol that one is devoting all of their thoughts and their actions to the one true God. Like I said before, the beast is always mimicking Jesus. Jesus puts a mark on his followers. It's not a, a literal mark, but it is a very, very, very real mark that he puts on his people. Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and there behold, before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, is he saying that when you become a Christian, you have J-E-S-U-S -S now on your forehead? Absolutely not. And to the first century reader, name represents character. If you knew a person's name, you knew their character. Our culture misses that. Because we often just name our kids with whatever we think is cool. That's not so back in the day. In ancient times. So when you have the mark of Jesus, you have the character of Christ sealed on you and in you by the Holy Spirit who lives on you and in you. A very real mark. Nations become beasts when they exalt their own power and economic security as a false god. And then they demand total allegiance. And we see this over and over again, not just in Rome, Babylon, Persia, Greece, at that time Rome, and it's gone on to this day. Each one fits the bill, and they all have continued to do so. But who goes against these powers? Who is able to stand up against these giants, the slain lamb. He's accompanied, he's not alone, get this, he's accompanied by his army. We talked about this a little bit ago. Who have become fully devoted followers of him, worshiping him with the eternal gospel. Uh, chapter 14, verse 6 in Revelation. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead, and an eternal gospel to proclaim to, to those who dwell on earth, to every nation, and every tribe, and every language, and people, from the new Jerusalem. So in all of this, there's a clear choice given to seven churches. Follow the beast, suffer its defeat. Follow Christ and go to the new Jerusalem, a heaven where everyone is united. 
In this last segment, I want to touch a little bit on the New Jerusalem, heaven. In the New Jerusalem, there will be no temples and churches. There's no churches. Because those things are constructed in order to have fellowship with God. But in the New Jerusalem, there will be no corner, no nook or cranny where God does not exist. We will have fellowship with him wherever we are. Making churches and temples obsolete. Every tribe and every nation will be represented. No financial, no geographical, no cultural, no racial divide will exist. Jesus' people are marked with the love of Christ on their foreheads and right hands, and that is all that matters. That's what we get to look forward to. And not only for then, but we have the pleasure now to, to live that out and represent that in the here and in the now. I know that many of us have become very fearful and uncertain uh, looking at the news and, and seeing what's going on in the world. And I want to leave you with a bit of an encouragement. And many people would be surprised. Like encouragement from the book of Revelation. Because we often look at the Revelation as being a scary book because we don't understand it. But this would have been a huge encouragement to uh, the early church who would have been going through some very difficult times. I want to point out that all fear is firmly rooted in death. The fear of criticism, the fear of rejection, the fear of financial loss, the fear of pain, all at rock bottom at its core, at its soul, is rooted in the fear of death. Revelation, first chapter, verses 17. Listen to the words of Jesus. Fear not. It's a command. Fear not. I am the first and the last. And the living one. I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death in Hades. Daryl W. Johnson says this. Jesus says, stop being afraid. And why? Because Jesus Christ has walked into the, the gaping jaws of the greatest enemy there is. On the cross, he let all the powers that threatened to undo us have their unrestrained way with him. He let death take him captive. And then he burst out of the prison, carrying away the prison keys. Jesus says, I have the keys of death. Now I want you to let that imagery consume you. I want you to let that imagery make its way into your heart. John's letter reminds us. That the things on this earth, the things in life are not always as they seem. There are dark forces at large in this world. They're very real. But we have the comfort of knowing that Jesus overcame the darkness. The war is finished. The devil knows his time is done. And we now get to live in that type of security. The question we are left with is, will our circumstances determine where our heart is? Will we be willing, are we willing to remain faithful and shine Christ's light in the world? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would fill us with your presence, with your comfort. And uh, God, maybe there's people listening to this 
sermon or watching it and, and, and they feel the anxiety and the pressure of the world. And Lord, right now I pray that you would just make your presence known to them. Allow them to feel your peace and your comfort knowing the truth. And that is you have overcome darkness. You have overcome death. You hold the keys to death in Hades. And we are conquerors. Maybe not in the sense this world sees, but we get to look forward to seeing that beautiful reconciliation and, and being able to uh, spend time with you and members of every tribe, every nation. And, uh, and may that just inspire us to face every day with that type of confidence that is rooted in your truth, Lord, that we read here in Revelation. Lord God, I want to pray for our church in this world. And that we would all represent you in such a way that when people see the church of the world, that they would see a beautiful picture of what is to come. We pray these things in your name. Amen.